Hi there, welcome back to Sunday School. I'm Mike Stediman. Thank you for joining me for a few minutes today as we look into today's Sunday School lesson. It's the beginning of September, and we're beginning a new series of lessons called Encounter. And today we're going to talk about one of the most in, one of the most famous encounters that anybody has in the Bible with God, and that's the encounter that Paul has with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's probably the most famous conversion story in the Bible. As we look at the beginning of this person who's going to be such a major figure in the New Testament, his beginning in the New Testament, the first mention of him is fairly inauspicious. Uh, he's basically there at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and while he does not actively take part, he's not throwing one of the stones, he's holding the coats and the cloaks of those people who do the stoning. So he's certainly giving it more than his tacit approval. Well, who is Saul? Saul is a great scholar of the Hebrew scripture. He is a great follower. He is a very devoted follower of what he sees as God's law. And you can kind of imagine that somebody who has a very strong feeling about this, when he hears about what he probably would have considered a cult of personality, these new Christians who claim to be following somebody who they believe to be the Messiah, and since Saul did not accept Jesus at first as the Messiah, he must have really had a very strong emotional response to this. We're going to see a little bit of that emotion in just a moment. Well, that's in an earlier chapter before we get to what we're going to talk about today. But that's his introduction, about a third of the way into the book of Acts, a book he is going to dominate. He's not even mentioned, except he's kind of a secondary character as he comes in just at the tail end of the story of Stephen, as I mentioned, the first Christian martyr. So Saul is going to uh, be one of those characters in the Bible whose name is changed. Now, sometimes it's explained to us the difference between Abram and Abraham, something like that. Uh, why uh, Peter gets the name Peter, where it comes from. Saul and Paul, two very similar names. Not really sure why the name is changed, but certainly the change does take place. And at the point where we're going to begin today's lesson, he's still called Saul. And he has been a very uh, strict follower of the Hebrew law. He's somebody who sees himself as a defender of the Hebrew law. Such a defender, in fact, that he wants to protect it. He wants to protect the people of God from what he sees as a heresy. So we begin in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. This is, again, a chapter after he has been introduced as being part of the mob there when uh, Stephen was martyred. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So there obviously is an emotional component here. It's more than just Paul trying to uh, stop this new religion. He, he really wants to stop it in its tracks. He wants to go out and get these people who are teaching what he sees as something that is against uh, the people of God. Now, right before this, we know that a persecution has begun in the city of Jerusalem, that many of the early followers of Jesus, many of the early Christians, have now been run out of town. 
that the, uh, the main people left are the apostles themselves in Jerusalem. So, uh, as the Christians are being scattered throughout the region, first starting in Judea, Samaria, and that area, Saul is going to be one of those people who's going to hunt them down and track them down. And he's doing it in a very emotional kind of way. We see that he's uh, breathing out murderous threats. Uh, this is long before the internet, but if you know how vile uh, some of the internet postings can be, if, if he had had the internet at the time, I imagine that his Facebook posts would have been something that later he would not have been proud of. So he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So uh, Saul is certainly a, a man who wants to follow the rules and regulations. He goes to the high priest, the person who can give him this authority, and he's going to go to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, the city of Damascus, one of the oldest cities in the world, uh, obviously one of the places where some of the early Christians would have escaped the persecution going on in Jerusalem. And also, this is interesting, that uh, Luke, the author of Acts, would call Christianity the way. And uh, in the particular translation I'm looking at, the W in way is capitalized, as this would be a synonym for Christianity, a word which, of course, had not been coined yet at that time. Saul is so against this whole idea of Christianity, the people following Christ, that he's willing to go on the road, he's willing to go to another town, he's going to go to the synagogues, which is obviously where the people would have started congregating. Uh, most of the early Christians were Jews, so they would have gone into the synagogues to tell other Jews that the Messiah had come. And this would be the logical place to get started, and that's exactly where Saul wants to start. He wants to bring people back as prisoners. So you have to imagine that he's going to be carrying ropes or chains or things like that. He's going to find some way to bind these people and uh, probably carried some muscle with him. You can't imagine that as one man he would have tried to bring back a whole bunch. So when we talk about his traveling companions in a minute, I imagine this is a pretty rough bunch. Probably he got the biggest meanest people he could find uh, to bring these Christians back to Jerusalem. Now, the conversion story we're about to talk about, it's really not a surprise that it would happen on the road, because Paul, the apostle, is one of the great travelers in the Bible. We talk about his missionary journeys. He traveled all over what was then the known Roman world, putting in miles and miles and miles, probably most of it by foot, um, and so it's not really surprising that the person who would spend so much time on the road would find Jesus on the road. That's where he was when uh, the, this conversion story takes place. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Now, of course, in my Bible, this is in red ink, so uh, that means these are the words of Jesus. A couple of very interesting things about this particular encounter that Saul has. First, 
Jesus says his name twice. Now, when uh, somebody calls you by your name twice, they're really trying to get your attention. You normally, in most circumstances, would figure, well, I'm in trouble here. There are a couple of instances in the Bible where God calls somebody out by their name twice. And so this, the first time would get his attention, uh, certainly with the lights and the noise and all that's going on. The second time really drives it home. Saul, this is a very direct personal call that he's getting. Why do you persecute me? Now remember what Saul has been doing has been going after followers of Jesus. This verse tells me that Jesus takes the welfare of his followers very personally. Now, during his teaching, he talks about if people do something for one of his disciples, that's just as good as doing it for him. In his case, talking about giving him a glass of water, doing something nice. But also, the reverse would be true. If you mess with Jesus's followers, you're messing with Jesus. And that is not going to be something that he's going to tolerate. So the very personal uh, approach that, that Jesus takes here in the concern for his disciples, uh, because Saul had been persecuting them, that's persecuting Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, because at this point, Saul probably really didn't understand what was going on. Now, I do believe that Saul had probably studied the tenets of Christianity. I believe that since he was such an opponent of this group, that he probably had checked them out. He had heard what their teaching was. He might have gotten it secondhand. Certainly, up to this point, he was not a believer. He did not think that the Messiah had come. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So now what might be the worst possible thing that Saul could have thought of uh, while he was out persecuting the Christians has happened to him. He is actually now going to see the Christian story up close, and he's going to encounter this person that he thought was dead and buried, was dead and gone. He didn't accept the idea that Jesus had been raised from the dead. He certainly didn't see him as the Messiah. So now his whole life has changed in just the blink of an eye, in just a, a, a very short period of time. This big change has taken place. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anybody. Uh, and again, I can just imagine that the people that Saul got to travel with him were probably big, mean people. That he was looking to bring a bunch of people back to Jerusalem as prisoners. So he would not have gone out with just a, a small group, uh, a group of people who were indifferent. These are probably big, tough guys, and they're standing there speechless. They don't know what to do, what to say. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, we have to kind of speculate here. What would have been going through this man's mind? He has been shown through this miraculous encounter with Jesus that 
Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is able to reach out to him in this way. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Saul was a great student of the Hebrew Bible. He knew the Hebrew Bible backwards and forwards, or since it was in Hebrew, he knew it forwards and backwards. And I can imagine that since he was not able to see anything or read anything, and he is so despondent here he's not going to eat for a few days, probably in his mind he is reviewing everything he knows about the Scripture. He's probably thinking back on all of the teaching that he had received, largely through the prophets, on the coming of the Messiah, as God had promised the Messiah to come. If Jesus is the Messiah, how does this all fit together? Now, in Paul's letters later on, he goes into great detail to show us why the scriptures uh, from the Hebrew Bible point to Jesus as the Messiah. So in his mind, he's probably going through all of these uh, texts that he has memorized, uh, lessons that he's probably taught, and he's reconciling his belief system to that that he had received secondhand and thirdhand from the early church. How do these things go together? This is what I speculate, this is what I imagine is going on in his head during this time. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Well, also, Paul has spent the time praying, which certainly makes sense. As he's meditating, as he's going over all this material, it would make sense that he also would be reaching out to God for some understanding, for some explanation, some reason why all of this is happening. Now, Ananias has every reason to be very suspicious about this. They had probably heard that uh, one of the leaders from Jerusalem was coming there to look for Christians in Damascus. And uh, Paul, being a clever person, if he really were still trying to collect the Christians to take them back as prisoners, the first place he was going to go, you know, was going to be to the uh, to the synagogues. And what better way to find out who the Christians are, what better way to learn their passwords, their secret handshakes, all that kind of stuff, than to pretend to be one of them. So Ananias is, I think, justifiably suspicious about all this. But God settles his mind by telling him where he's going to be, what he is supposed to do. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias doesn't add it here, but he could say, and that includes yours truly. That's me. I don't really want to go back to Jerusalem in chains. I don't like to go to Jerusalem anyway. Certainly not in chains. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. When we're called to do something, when we're given a mission, normally we kind of like to look upon the positive side. How much 
is this going to reward me? Whether it's going to be monetary reward or, or maybe some kind of psychological reward. It's going to make you feel good to do something. Saul is going to be shown how much he's going to have to suffer. And certainly we know from the end of the story that Paul suffers a lot. Paul lists his suffering. Not an auspicious beginning for his ministry, but a very honest one. God is certainly not uh, fooling him in any way or giving him anything false here. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This story of Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion to Paul, is such a crucial part of the Christian story that just in the book of Acts alone, it's recounted by Saul himself twice more. So we have the main story here, and then Luke uh, in talking about Paul's ministries, he goes around, has him repeat the story twice. So it's not being repeated because we need to know more about it, that there's some, uh, that we're finding out about it for the first time. It's being repeated for emphasis. Now, sometimes when God chooses somebody for a, a particular mission, uh, we say, well, that's an odd choice. God must see somebody in that, uh, must see something in that person that's not what a human would see. Saul is a really good choice, even from a human perspective, because here's a man who is totally devoted to doing what he thinks God wants him to do. And when he thought that God wanted him to persecute the Christians, he was right there working on it with all his being. Now that God has appeared to him, Jesus appeared to him directly to switch him over to the other team, well, he's going to fight just as hard now on that side. And he's also going to see how the reconciliation that Jesus offers is really superior to the reconciliation that he believed he was going to be able to receive if he had followed the old ways there. So here we have one of the strongest encounters that anyone in the Bible has with any part of the Godhead. In this case, Saul is encountering Jesus, a very direct encounter. And certainly, this is not only going to change the rest of Paul's life, he's going to be uh, devoted the rest of his life to this, but also very much our lives today. Because remember, a large part of the New Testament uh, comes from the pen of Paul. The ideas about Christianity, the ideas about where our religion comes from, so many of these things come, and this encounter is the beginning. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the story and stories of Saul's conversion. Help us to remember that as your disciples, you care about us very much, that our well-being, what's good for us, is very important to you. Help us to share your love with those around us this week. In Christ's name, amen.